as we continue our sermon series through the book of Romans. We're looking at chapter 6 this morning and seeing how Paul is continuing his message and building upon the previous passages in chapters 1 through 5 and how he's going to continue this same message uh, through the remainder of Romans. Romans is essentially a summary of the entire New Testament. It's one of my uh, favorite books. Pastor John spoke last week of the fact that Christ uh, is the new Adam. And we see in Romans 5, 17, he says, For if by the trespasses of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive a God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? And this is a gift that something God has given to us and given for us, not because of anything we've done or been deserving of, but because of his great love for us. Romans 5, 8 through 9 says, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? And now in chapter 6, Paul is addressing perhaps the next logical conclusion that perhaps people in this church were coming to. Essentially, if Christ has redeemed us, and then we've all been justified by his blood, I suppose this means that we can continue sinning. After all, his grace abounds, and the more we sin, the more there is grace. After all, justification through the blood of Jesus Christ must mean that we're saved once and for all, and therefore our lifestyles must not really matter a whole lot. We were sinners before Christ died for us. We were sinners when Christ died for us, and we still continue sinning after Christ died for us. But now that we've been justified, I guess we can just continue along this same path that we were on before. Now, the Apostle Paul, knowing that this could be a conclusion they were coming to, and it may seem logical or even tempting to believe, he lays out what Christians' attitudes need to be. And because of God's great love that he has lavished on all of us, this should now be reflected in our actions and our thoughts. So beginning in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him and through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died and been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery 
over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. There is so much going on in this passage. But to summarize it, Paul, again, referring back to Adam in the previous chapter, he's saying because of the death and sin of one man, now there is going to be redemption and life now through one man, Jesus Christ. That we are being ruled now by Christ's victory and not being ruled by the death and sin in which we had lived before. This is all about our new identity in Christ Jesus. That our sinful lives, they were headed, they were leading us towards death. But this new life is now hidden in Christ and it's going to bring life. Being set free from sin means that the death of Jesus Christ, we too suffered with him in that death as well. And when Jesus Christ was raised from death to life, now we as believers are being set free from death to life. Additionally, this Christ that died for us 2,000 years ago, he did it once and for all. He is not going to continue dying on the cross over and over and over again to set us free. That one-time act happened. And therefore, all of sin and death was conquered. And in light of this, this old self, we must count ourselves dead to that old sinful nature and counting ourselves in our new identity, which is this life in Christ. Death no longer has mastery over us as Christians. That's the earthly death. It's not, it's the spiritual death in which we no longer have looming over us. And here's why words matter. The Apostle Paul is about to go into this next passage talking about slavery because slavery was a common uh, practice during his, uh, his life. So he says, starting in verse 19, look, I'm using this as an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. And just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. And what benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things resulted in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap now is holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, the master had all the power and control of an individual. That person was subject under their power and their rule. They had no rights. They could not operate on their own. They were held in captivity, having to serve this master. They were bound, and nothing could keep them from their bondage. 
And now in Christ's death and resurrection, Jesus has paid this ransom price, this price to purchase us out of slavery. That death no longer has mastery over us. Christ has paid for that. Now once and for all, he has redeemed us, making us now his subjects and no longer subjects of the life which was leading to death. We are now under his righteousness and power and control, which is now leading to life. Someone who has been redeemed from death to life is no longer subject to that old master. Rather, they are now purchased and under the new control of Jesus Christ. And this is why Paul says, going back in verse 8, that when we die to Christ, that's our old self, and we now live with him, it's our new self. In verse 11, now count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. We are now alive. We're now alive in Christ. The old master no longer has power over us. And death cannot have any reign in our lives any longer. We have been redeemed. And we should all be jumping up and down, praising God, thanking him for what he's done for us. Should we not? Everybody stand up real quick. And no, just. We should all be thoroughly thrilled because of what God has done for us. Because we couldn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. And yet Christ died for us while we were still sinners to purchase us and save us, redeem us from that old sin nature. And then this is the challenge of where our mindset now needs to change. Since we have been redeemed from death to life, that we are no longer dead, we are alive, yet we still struggle with sin, here's the challenge. We still struggle with sin, and yet we have been set free from sin. These two ideas are not mutually exclusive. Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue going on in sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin, so how can we live in it any longer? That if we sin, then maybe this must mean that we are still under the slavery of sin. But this is not the case. It means that the payment for our sins, that life, has been paid for, has been bought. And we, have, we are no longer living that life. We are now rescued. And now we are in a transformative process to begin living this new life in Christ, which he has given to us freely. Think about it this way. Say you were captured, you were kidnapped, and you were forced into slavery for years and years and years, and there was no way you could possibly get out of it, that you were held in captivity, forced servitude for many, many years, and then one day, Someone comes and redeems you and frees you from a situation that you could not save yourself from. And this person now has redeemed you and says, I am giving you new life. Wouldn't it seem to make sense that you at least be thankful or at least grateful for what that person has done for you? It would seem almost ungrateful or even un, uh, it would seem disrespectful to not even acknowledge or choose then to change your life and now owe your life to this one who has redeemed you. 
This is why Paul argues in verse 1 and 2, you shouldn't think of God as just someone willy-nilly handing this new life out for other people, you know, for people so that they can just continue sinning. That seems like you're not really appreciating the gift in which you were given in the first place. He's, he's meaning that there is more grace now because of what God has done for you, and you shouldn't allow your old sinful lives to be a part of your life any longer. He says we need to change how we think. We need to change how we align our lives, not in just our thoughts, but in our actions, out of sheer thankfulness, not out of obligation. Jesus has given us this gift that we don't deserve. He saved us from certain death, and now he's given us this new freedom, which he has purchased for us on the cross through his death and suffering. And since this is the case, those of us who have been redeemed into this new life, it would seem that we would want to start serving this one who has redeemed us out of pure thankfulness and love and appreciation. Shouldn't our lives begin reflecting this true nature of Christ? That we are no longer slaves to this old life of sin? That we are now slaves unto God? The one that we serve? Paul says, starting in verse 12, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been bought, brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Paul is offering us this mindset to help our thinking get straight. Why would you want to go back to this other life, this servitude, that you once lived in. It was bringing you nothing but death and despair. Why would you want to go back and begin serving that old master? It's ludicrous. But we know that this is an occurrence, and it was actually studied. It's called the Stockholm Syndrome. And I'm going to just kind of relate it a little bit to this phenomenon. Now, Stockholm Syndrome is not in the DSM-5 manual for psychological diagnoses, right? But there are symptoms which, which uh, are demonstrated in people's lives who are suffering with Stockholm Syndrome. Basically, it's a psychological response in which a hostage or a kidnapper or a victim begins to sympathize with their captor as well as their agenda or demands. Do you see where I'm going with this? Some of the symptoms include embarrassment of their feelings towards the abuser. They feel guilt Difficulty trusting others, maybe PTSD, nightmares, insomnia, denial, social withdrawal, feelings of constant tension, feeling of emptiness, feeling of despair, melancholy, worry, and loss of interest in activities. Does that seem like a kind of life that is leading towards abundance? It does not. It sounds like people who are suffering within the syndrome are still being stuck in that past life. They're having a hard time getting over it. And those symptoms, I think, can reflect a little bit of the nature of those who have now given their lives to Christ, that we've been living in this old way so long that it still sometimes affects us. For someone who has been living a particular way for so long to now begin to change how you live sometimes takes time. 
and its difficulty navigating this new life that you have never lived before and walking into this way of trusting and receiving this abundance is a new way and it can be a little scary at times. But learning to trust a good person after having trusted the wrong person for so many years can take time. But what Paul is getting at is that we need to move past this old life because that's what it is. It's old. And we need to begin living into this new life because it's new and it's truthful and it's right. And once you experience that truth, once you experience that new life, you can't help but not go back to that. So he's like, leave it behind. It's not going to bring any benefit to you whatsoever. And in verse 17, he says, But thanks be to God, though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin, and now you have become slaves of righteousness. So here's the challenge. If we are dead to ourselves, that old life no longer exists, how do we begin living into this new life which God has given to us? Well, first, some of you here have never experienced this new life because you have never asked Christ to be a part of your life. Maybe you've just been going through the motions. Maybe you just showed up today because it was the right thing to do or because someone forced you. But all of you here can receive this new life in which Christ is offering to you. He is redeeming you. He's being set free. And all you need to do is ask Christ to come in and redeem you, to give your life over to him. And if you want to do that, or if you've done that now, just let us know in the response card or call our office this week and talk to one of our staff members. Our old self led us to death, but this new life has given us freedom, and the sin's grip in our life is being broken. Will we, will we continue to sin? We will continue to mess up and sin every day. But we are no longer being mastered by that, and we're no longer going to obey that old sin nature. Since it was Veterans Day on Friday, I can think of almost no better example um, to illustrate this very point. It's from the HBO miniseries Band of Brothers. Has anybody seen this miniseries? Okay, like five of you, great. Well, this follows the experience of a particular battalion in the 101st Airborne Division in World War II. And after they were parachuted into France on D-Day, there was a person named Private Blythe who had experienced a very traumatic uh, uh, experience, a very traumatic experience, right? I don't know how to say that. And he encounters this conversation with uh, this man named Lieutenant Spears. And as they're talking, uh, Private Blythe tells him, Sir, when I landed on D-Day, I found myself in a ditch all by myself. I fell asleep. I think it was the sickness pills they gave us. When I woke up, I didn't really try to find my unit to fight. I think I just kind of stayed put. And Lieutenant Spears then asked an important question. Do you know why you hid in that ditch, Private Blythe? To which Private Blythe responds, I was scared. And Lieutenant Spears says, we're all scared. But you hid in that ditch because you think there's still hope. But Private Blythe, the only hope you have is to accept the fact that you're already dead 
And the sooner you accept that, the sooner you're going to be able to function the way a soldier is supposed to function. To die to ourselves, to realize that the life that we had before no longer matters, that everything that we live now is for Christ, to die to self. Jesus says, Anyone who wants to try to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Once we are able to finally realize that we are dead to this past life and all the things don't really even matter in life anymore, then we can begin to experience this great freedom and this great new life Christ has offered to us. Once we realize that part of us is dead, now we can function the way Christ has always wanted us to function, in abundance, in freedom, and in joy. So we don't count ourselves dead, just like in that example I gave you. Look, you're, you're already dead. Now live, and you'll be able to function the way you're supposed to function, Christians, Jeremy, but yet, it's difficult sometimes to not go back to that old life. But Christ has won the victory. Christ has won the battle once and for all over death, and it no longer has mastery over us. Yes, we're going to mess up. And in fact, later in chapter 7, we're going to hear from the Apostle Paul in his experience the fact that he still struggles with this sin and this dual nature as well where he is alive in Christ, but yet still struggles with his old self. And since Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament, and he still had the struggle, that gives me hope that I can continue pressing on towards Christ as well. Look, I just wanted this to be an encouraging sermon for all of you today to recognize that Christ has redeemed you. Christ has set you free. Will you now live into this new life and no longer hold on to your old life. Let's pray. God, we're grateful that you redeem us, that through the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, you have given us new life, that we are no longer masters and under the bondage of sin and slavery, but God, now we live under this new life, this new power which is found in you. So let us shake off everything that hinders us, and let us run freely into the life that you want for us so that we can operate in this world the way you have always wanted us to operate and to experience all that you wanted us to experience. We thank you and we praise you. Amen.